Happy Sunday, and thank you for joining me today. It is Senate tradition that every newly elected senator give their first speech on the Senate floor, and it has transpired for years. Prominent senators like Bob Dole, Howard Baker, Mitt Romney, and Bernie Sanders have all given a Senate speech on the floor. Uh, earlier this year, newly elected Senator Raphael Warnock gave his first Senate floor speech. And if you haven't heard the speech yet, I recommend you watch the full 22-minute video. Uh, but this was his first speech on the Senate floor. It was captivating, influential, and scathing. If you are washing the dishes, I recommend that you sit down and listen to this. If you are driving in your car, listen to this a little bit more meticulously. If you're doing anything right now, uh, just sit down and take a listen to it. J just sit down and take a minute to listen to this. We are witnessing right now a massive and unabashed assault on voting rights, unlike anything we've ever seen since the Jim Crow era. This is Jim Crow in new clothes. Since the January election, some 250 voter suppression bills have been introduced by state legislatures all across the country, from Georgia to Arizona, from New Hampshire to Florida, using the big lie of voter fraud as a pretext for voter suppression. And so politicians driven by that big lie aim to severely limit and in some cases eliminate automatic and same-day voter registration, mail-in and absentee voting, and early voting and weekend voting. They want to make it easier to purge voters from the voting roll altogether. We know what's happening here. Some people don't want some people to vote. I was honored on a few occasions to stand with our hero and my parishioner, John Lewis. I was his pastor, but I'm clear he was my mentor. <laughs> On more than one occasion, we boarded buses together after Sunday church services as part of our Souls to the Poles program, encouraging the Ebenezer Church family and communities of faith to participate in the democratic process. Now, just a few months after Congressman Lewis's death, there are those in the Georgia legislature, some who even dared to praise his name, that are now trying to get rid of Sunday souls to the polls, making it a crime for people who pray together to get on a bus together in order to vote together. I think that's wrong. Matter of fact, I think that a vote is a kind of prayer for the kind of world we desire for ourselves and for our children. And our prayers are stronger when we pray together. To be sure, we have seen these kinds of voter suppression tactics before. They are a part of a long and shameful history in Georgia and throughout our nation. But refusing to be denied, Georgia citizens and citizens across our country brave the heat and the cold and the rain, some standing in line for five hours, six hours, 10 hours, just to exercise their constitutional right to vote. Young people, old people, sick people, working people, already underpaid, forced to lose wages to pay a kind of poll tax while standing in line to vote.
And how do some politicians respond? Well, they're trying to make it a crime to give people water and a snack as they wait in lines that are obviously being made longer by their draconian actions. This is democracy in reverse. Rather than voters being able to pick the politicians, the politicians are trying to cherry pick their voters. I say this cannot stand. And so I rise, Mr. President, because that sacred and noble idea, one person, one vote, is being threatened right now. Politicians in my home state and all across America in their craven lust for power have launched a full-fledged assault on voting rights. They are focused on winning at any cost, even the cost of the democracy itself. And I submit that it is the job of each citizen to stand up for the voting rights of every citizen. And it is the job of this body to do all that it can to defend the viability of our democracy. And that's why I am a proud co-sponsor of the For the People Act, which we introduced today. The For the People Act is a major step in the march toward our democratic ideals, making it easier, not harder, for eligible Americans to vote by instituting common sense pro-democracy reforms, like establishing national automatic voter registration for every eligible citizen, and allowing all Americans to register to vote online and on election day, requiring states to offer at least two weeks of early voting, including weekends in federal elections, keeping souls to the polls programs alive, prohibiting states from restricting a person's ability to vote absentee or by mail, and preventing states from purging the voter rolls based solely on unreliable evidence like someone's voting history. Amidst these voter suppression laws and tactics, including partisan and racial gerrymandering, and then a system awash in dark money and the dominance of corporatist interests and politicians who do their bidding, the voices of the American people have been increasingly drowned out and crowded out and squeezed out of their own democracy. We must pass for the people so that the people might have a voice. Your vote is your voice and your voice is your human dignity. But not only that, we must pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. I say let's get this done no matter what. I urge my colleagues to pass these two bills, strengthen and lengthen the cords of our democracy, secure our credibility as the premier voice for freedom-loving people and democratic movements all over the world, and win the future for all of our children. Mr. President, I yield the floor.
That was Senator Raphael Warnock, Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock, newly elected, speaking about all of speaking about the all-out assault on voting rights, calling it democracy in reverse, and receiving a standing ovation at the end of that incredible speech there. Once again, I recommend you watch the full 22-minute video. I'm going to have that linked in the description of this episode. And he was not being hyperbolic there. He's most of what he was referring to was the these major voter suppression bills that we are seeing been introduced and also passed in re- multiple Republican-controlled states. In order to understand, um, let me begin with the outset here. In 2018, Harvard professor Stephen Levitsky um, spoke before a crowd in Chicago, Illinois, about our democratic republic. The reason why he was invited to give this speech was because he and Daniel Ziblett wrote a book called uh, How Democracies Die. And essentially what he's saying is this is how democracies have died around the world in the past and in the present. But the United States is not immune from that type of erosion. And looking back on that speech now, it's not only unsettling, but very prescient. Democracies used to die at the hands of men with guns. During the Cold War, three out of every four democratic breakdowns took the form of a classic military coup. The general seized power. Contemporary democracies die in more subtle ways. They die at the hands not of generals, but of elected presidents and prime ministers, leaders who use the very institutions of democracy to subvert it. So democracies die constitutionally. They die through elections, through referenda and plebiscites. They die through parliamentary legislation. They die through Supreme Court rulings. As a result, citizens aren't always aware that their country is sliding into authoritarianism, sometimes until it's too late. So in 2011, for example, uh, 12 years into Hugo Chavez's presidency, a majority of Venezuelans, according to surveys, still believe they were living under a democracy. Same is true in Turkey, a decade into the AKP's rule. Same is true in Hungary and Poland today. So if democratic breakdown begins at the ballot box, one of the keys to protecting democracy lies in keeping extremists and demagogues from getting elected in the first place. And here political parties play a central role. Parties are democracy's gatekeepers because they're the ones who select the candidates They have the power to keep extremists and demagogues out. It's when parties fail to play this gatekeeping role that democracy gets into trouble. Elected authoritarians very rarely make it into power on their own. Almost always they get an assist, a helping hand, from mainstream political parties. Mainstream parties, particularly ones that maybe are uh, not doing very well politically, are often tempted to strike kind of a Faustian bargain with popular demagogues. They align with them, they work with them in the hope of tapping into their popular support, but also in the belief that ultimately they can control them. But this bargain often backfires. In Italy in the 1920s, liberal leader Giovanni Gioletti, uh, trying to tap into Mussolini's mass appeal, included the fascists on his liberal party candidate list. That helped to normalize Mussolini, it opened the door to his rise to power. Once again, that speech was given in 2018 by Harvard professor Stephen Levitsky. He made some pretty influential remarks in that speech. I mean, I mean, just listen back to this quote, leaders who use the very institutions to subvert it, referring to democracy there. Democracies die constitutionally. They die through elections. They die through Supreme Court rulings. 
As a result, citizens aren't always aware that their country is sliding into authoritarianism until it's too late. End quote. I mean, and that's true. Back then, a sign that a democracy was getting ready to collapse or that it had fallen was when citizens saw tanks rolling through the streets in a coup or the military seizing power of the federal government. That doesn't really happen anymore, especially in more contemporary democracies in the modern era. Democracies die, but by different means. Stephen Levitsky and Daniel Ziblett wrote in The Guardian in 2018, quote, The electoral road to breakdown is dangerously deceptive. With a classic coup, as in Pinochet's Chile, the death of a democracy is immediate and evident to all. The, president, the presidential palace burns. The president is killed, imprisoned, or shipped off into exile. The constitution is suspended or scraped. On the electoral road, none of these things happen. There are no tanks in the streets. Constitutions, are constitutions and other nominally democratic institutions remain in place. People still vote. Elected autocrats maintain a veneer of democracy while eviscerating its substance. Many government efforts to subvert democracy are legal, in the sense that they are approved by the state legislator or accepted by the courts. They may even be portrayed as efforts to improve democracy, making the judiciary more efficient, combating corruption, or cleaning up the electoral process. Newspapers still publish, but are often bought off or bullied into self-censorship. Citizens continue to criticize the government, but often find themselves facing tax or other legal troubles. This sows public confusion. People do not immediately realize what is happening. Many continue to believe they are living under a democracy, because there is no single moment, no coup, declaration of martial law, or suspension of the Constitution in which the regime obviously crosses the line into dictatorship. Nothing may set off society's alarm bells. Those who denounce government abuse may be dismissed as exaggerating or crying wolf. Democracy's erosion is, for many, almost imperceptible. The tragic paradox of the electoral route to authoritarianism is that democracy's assassins use the very institutions of democracy gradually, subtly, and even legally to kill it. There are, therefore, reasons for alarm. Not only did Americans elect a demagogue in 2016, but we did so at a time when the norms that once protected our democracy were already coming unmoored. But if other countries' experience teach us that polarization can kill democracies, they also teach us that the breakdown is neither inevitable nor irreversible. Many Americans are justifiably frightened by what is happening to our country. But protecting our democracy requires more than just fright or outrage. We must be humble and bold. We must learn from other countries to see the warning signs and recognize the false alarms. We must be aware of the fateful missteps that have wrecked other democracies. And we must see how citizens have risen to meet the great democratic crisis of the past, overcoming their own deep-seated divisions to avert breakdown. History does not repeat itself, but it rhymes. The promise of history is that we can find the rhymes before it is too late. End quote. So the piece there is diametrically frightening, but it also essentially, it lays it out pretty clearly. It lays it out pretty clearly there. Here in the United States, it wouldn't be obvious to many that our democratic republic is slowly eroding. Because none of those extreme events transpire, like eradicating the constitution, seizing the government by military power, or coups, 
in a place where that doesn't happen, essentially, essentially what they're saying there is that your democracy could still be in peril. By 2016, when the Republican National Convention rolled around, there were chants like lock her up, referring to 2016 presidential Democratic nominee Hillary Clinton. These are things that we've heard in authoritarian countries, not the United States, before. There was intense partisanship, fear, and vitriol that had definitely escalated over the course of the Trump presidency and even in the run-up to the 2016 presidential election and even before that. But at some point, that pot of fear and vitriol will spill over. When politics so deeply polarized that each side comes to view a victory by the other side as intolerable, as beyond the pale, democracy is in trouble, it's imperiled. Because when an opposition victory is seen as intolerable, you start to justify using extraordinary means to prevent it. Things like violence, election fraud, even coups. Americans have not reached that point. Quote, when an opposition victory is seen as intolerable, you start to justify using extraordinary means to prevent it. Things like violence, election fraud, even coups. End quote. Then he goes on to say Americans have not reached that point yet. Well, last year, that point essentially began. After the November election in which Joe Biden was declared the winner, President Trump began pursuing legal challenges to double-check. And he essentially had every right to do that. Al Gore did the same in 2000. But it started to escalate. I mean, he soon prematurely declared victory, pushed unsubstantiated allegations of voter fraud, refused a peaceful transfer of power, and just didn't concede in the election. And it wasn't astonishing because people who studied this kind of behavior in other nations had been warning before about the election about this. Even Trump told his supporters if he lost, it would be because of voter fraud. That began in early 2020, and he kept on with this. As the election neared, he continued that lie, and so when the election came, his supporters didn't take no for an answer. They wouldn't accept by any means necessary a lose, a defeat, in the 2020 election. By December, the president told his followers to make sure that they were in D.C. on January 6th, because it would be wild. And on so, on January 6th, President Trump incited his followers and they converged on the United States Capitol and they stormed it. It went from a protest to an insurrection in a matter of minutes. I remember watching the news that day, not surprised, but horrified by what was happening at the United States Capitol. And the precipice, the pretext by which they did it was based on a big lie that the election was stolen and that Donald J. Trump had rightfully won the election. And now we are in the next chapter of the devastating effects of that big lie. Most recently, Georgia became one of the first Republican-controlled states in the nation to propose and pass a bill restricting voting rights. Now, this is not the first time that Georgia has done this, but this particular bill is based on the big lie. This bill is a major voter suppression effort, and this is where the line from Levitsky and Ziblatt come in. Quote, many government efforts to subvert democracy are legal in the sense that they are meant to improve, essentially that they are approved by the legislator or accepted by the courts. End quote. So, 
Although this is major voter suppression in Georgia and in many other Republican-controlled states, what Republicans are doing in Georgia is diametrically legal. Like, this is not illegal. This is perfectly fine. This is perfectly legal. And the big lie, the big lie that they are using behind this is that this is to improve. This is for election integrity. You know, I was scrolling through YouTube on Thursday night and I, I came across this video um, on, on Fox News about Tucker Carlson in my recommended page. And I, I watched the first few minutes of it and Tucker Carlson began talking about this new voting rights bill in Georgia. And Tucker Carlson literally just brazenly lied about this bill, saying it's meant to improve our democracy, not hurt it. And so here are the most significant effects of this law reported by the New York Times. Quote, voters will now have less time to request absentee ballots. There are strict new ID requirements for absentee ballots. It's now illegal for election officials to mail out absentee ballot applications to all voters. Drop boxes still exist, but barely. Mobile voting centers, think an RV where you uh, can vote, are essentially banned. Early voting is expanded in all in a lot of small counties, but probably not in more populous ones, offering food or water to voters waiting in line, what Senator Raphael Warnock was talking about earlier, is now risk meaner is essentially when you do that, you are now risking a misdemeanor charge. If you go to the wrong polling place, it will be even harder to vote. If election problems arise, a common occurrence, it is now more difficult to extend voting hours with a mix of changes to vote. Um vote counting, high turnout elections will probably mean a long wait for results. Election officials can no longer accept third-party funding, a measure that nods to right-wing conspiracy theorists. theories. With an eye toward voter fraud, the state attorney general will manage an election hotline. The Republican-controlled state legislator has more control over the state election board. Um, and I'm going to pause here before I explain this one to you. During the during the 2020 presidential election, over the course of it, the president kept pressuring Georgia officials to overturn the presidential election. There was reporting that he pressured the Georgia Secretary of State. Um, uh, he also pressured the Georgia governor and other Republican elected officials in Georgia. Also, he essentially wanted the state legislator to just overturn the darn election in Georgia so he could win that state. What Republicans have just done now is they are effectively what the sec the Secretary of State in Georgia, the reason why President Trump was not successful in his efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election in the state of Georgia for those results. The reason why President Trump was unsuccessful because the was because the Secretary of State in Georgia refused, refused to capitulate to that pressure to refuse to capitulate to that illegal political pressure from the president of the United States. What have Republicans just done in Georgia? Well, voila, they have just removed the secretary of state from the role as the voting member on the state election board. And now they will be installing someone else. So therefore, Hey, um, if, if perhaps president Trump ever does get reelected and he wants to try to overturn the results in, in Georgia, he won't have a problem because we've installed our own political operative in here who is politically expedient for us. According to the New York Times, quote, the GOP-led legislator is empowered to suspend county election officials. Runoff elections will happen faster and could become harder to manage, end quote. 
In many other Republican-controlled states, these bills have been proposed and introduced as well. In states like Iowa, Arizona, Michigan, New Hampshire, and also Texas. In Arizona, they have just hired a, a QAnon and 8chan conspiracy theorist to lead their election audit. The New York Times reports, quote, In Arizona, Republicans are pushing for control over the rule of the state's elections. In Iowa, the GOP has installed harsh new criminal penalties for county election officials who enact emergency voting rules. In Tennessee, a Republican legislator is trying to remove a sitting judge who ruled against the party in an election case. End quote. Now, as I said, these voter suppression bills are very controversial and have drawn vehement criticism up and including to President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris and many others. President Joe Biden has described these bills as, quote, despicable and pernicious, end quote. Gargantuan corporations like Delta and Coca-Cola vehemently condemned this after this bill was signed into law in Georgia. Since then, other large-based corporations have condemned this bill and efforts in other states to do essentially do the same thing. Microsoft, Dell, American Airlines, Southwest Airlines, United Airlines, AT&T, and other organizations as well. Small and large, they are coming out and denouncing these voter suppression bills. As Senator Raphael Warnock said, this all-out assault on voting rights. This is democracy in reverse. We are a democratic republic. We're not some authoritarian country, but we are evolving into one. And that is very frightening to say. But just look at what's going on. These voter suppression efforts, the big lie that President Trump carried on ultimately up and into the end of his presidency that led to an insurrection at the United States Capitol that left more than 140 police officers, Capitol Police officers, injured. That left five people dead. One officer committed suicide. The big lie that led to the insurrection on January 6, 2021, a day that will forever live in infamy. President Trump was ultimately acquitted in the United States Senate as a result of inciting that insurrection. And so when you look at these voter suppression laws, to, to essentially encapsulate on this point, to encapsulate on that point there, I will just leave you with this one last thing. We always take things for granted, or some of us always take things for granted in the moment. And we don't understand its gravity or its substance until it's gone or halted. Our democratic republic has upheld for more than 243 years since 1776 the founding of our democratic republic. And it has taken beatings, assaults, subversion, and erosion. And that has weakened it drastically. Our political environment is deeply polarized. The Republican Party is now in its end stages. The Atlantic recently compared it to the communist Soviet Party in the 1970s as the Republican Party is not only dealing, grappling with conspiracy theories, misinformation, and the pernicious effects of the big lie, but many other things as well. But my point is here, we need to be taking these assaults on our republic very earnestly. Because democracies don't fall like they used to anymore. 
Tanks don't roll down the streets anymore in contemporary democracies. The president isn't shipped off in exile or killed. And the Constitution is, isn't suspended. But electoral democracies fall by very different means, slowly and deceptively, to the point where citizens who still live in those countries, to the point where citizens in those countries believe that they are still living in a democracy. Eyes open, heads up, stay focused. The future of our country depends on it. If you looked at America like a bird, and that was all you knew, would you really understand it with just that point of view? We've got a different way to look at it from right here on the ground. We don't just see United States, we see United Towns. From where we sit, just down the street, near the post office, by the park, when we stop and look around, what we see are sparks. Sparks of hope, of compassion, of communities who stand firm, when neighbors lift each other up, expecting nothing in return. We're grateful for what you bring and all the sparks you've shown and the thousands of towns that we get to call home. Welcome back. So there were some parts in my monologue that I missed out as far as like um, some other things that happened about that Georgia voting law. So Georgia state representative, um, a young black woman, she was arrested for knocking on the door, wanting to witness the governor signing this legislation into law, something that affects all Georgians. Um, she was arrested. Um, she was reportedly um once you listen to the segment, I, I will tell you that she was reportedly going to be um, essentially charged with felony obstruction of of assembly and also going to be essentially spending years in prison. But the Fulton County DA has officially dropped um, that, dropped those charges. She will, she will spend no time in prison. Um, but just listen to this very, very powerful segment here by CNN host Don Lemon, just excoriating Republicans on this and making it really clear about what this is really about, instead of the big lie that they're hiding behind, that it's about somehow election integrity. Uh, whatever you're doing, just sit down and listen to this. And I just want you to, whatever you're doing, I know sometimes you sit at home and you watch this and you may be falling half asleep in the bathroom, taking off your makeup with the kids. But I want to make sure that you're in front of the television right now because what I'm about to show you and tell you, very important, very important for the country. Because what you're about to see right now is the face of the fight for your right to vote. Here it is. Why are they coming all close to her like that? Though? Why are y'all getting all close? So what you see right there and what you're hearing, this is Georgia State Representative Park Cannon. Why is the governor trying to sign something in private? She is being arrested and removed from the state capitol after knocking on that door during Governor Brian Kemp's signing of that assault, really, on your vote, what results to an assault on your vote. In a video that was posted to social media, and you're going to see it here in moments, Cannon is led away by several officers with her hand cuffed behind her back. Right here, she's trying to reason with the officer. She's just knocking on the door. 
Remember, she is an elected representative. Are you serious? No, you are not. Representative. No. She's not under arrest. What for what? Under arrest for what? You can hear for trying to see others there demanding, demanding that officers not arrest her. So I just want you to watch this, and I want you to remember, she's an elected representative being, that is being removed as the governor is signing this bill. Why are you arresting her? That's what I'm asking. Stop arresting her. Why are you arresting Why? her? Why? Cite, cite the violation. Cite the code. What is she in violation of? I want you to cite the code. Cite the code. Cite it. What are you? Cite the code. Cite the code. Cite the code. Why are you arresting her? Under what? Under what? Under what? Law, are you arresting her? Why are you arresting her? Why are you arresting her? Tell us now. Why are you arresting her? Cited. Give me a reason why you are arresting her. Give me a reason why you are arresting her. Why are you arresting her? Why are you arresting her? What under what statute are you arresting her? Under what statute? The governor is signing a law that will affect all Georgians, and you are choosing to arrest an elected official. Hmm. How do you feel about that? Are you outraged? I know you have some sort of emotion around it. I know you're feeling something around it. And you should be passionate about it. That's the only way you change things. Are you outraged? The attorney, Gerald Griggs, is telling CNN that he is representing Cannon. He is working to bond her out of jail after she was booked on felony obstruction charges. CNN has reached out to multiple sources on what happened there tonight, including the police. That is apparently how far that they are willing to go to keep an elected representative, elected representative, from watching the governor sign a bill to take away the voting rights of many people in Georgia. The governor of Georgia, his name is Brian Kemp, you know him, proudly signing a bill that, among other things, would make giving food or water to a voter waiting online a misdemeanor, allowing unlimited challenges to voter registrations, and allow state officials to replace local election officials. Make no mistake about it. This bill is about nothing less than taking away the right to vote. That is all it is, plain and simple. A right that generations of Americans fought and died for. And the governor, proud to sign it. Well, he's proud enough to sign a bill in front of cameras and what looks to be a room full of white men Look at the picture on your screen. Now, they were in there. Why weren't they arrested, huh?
proud to sign that bill full of a room of men who look like him. Proud to tweet it out as well. That same governor who just months ago put out tweets calling the late Congressman John Lewis a civil rights icon and a freedom fighter. Well, John Lewis would have been the first one out there fighting against this. The bill the governor signed tonight is a slap in the face to John Lewis, who gave his life, who risked his life for the right to vote, whose skull was fractured, who was arrested more than 40 times, all for the right to vote. And tonight, Governor Kemp is taking away that right from the people he was elected to serve. The vote is one of the pillars of our democracy, and it is no coincidence this is happening in the state that helped Joe Biden win the White House, the state that gave Democrats control of the Senate. No coincidence at all. Georgia Republicans are making it harder for a whole lot of people of color, most of whom support Democrats to vote. President Joe Biden is passionate in his first press conference today about protecting the most sacred right we have as Americans, the right to vote, railing against voter suppression efforts, calling them sick and un-American. What I'm worried about is how un-American this whole initiative is. It's sick. It's sick. Deciding in some states that you cannot bring water to people standing in line, waiting to vote, deciding that you're going to end voting at 5 o'clock when working people are just getting off work, deciding that there will be no absentee ballots under the most rigid circumstances. And the president is right. It is un-American. It is an assault on your right to vote. I've been telling you for, what, months now about what we're dealing with in this country. It is plain, I hate, I just, I hate to keep talking about it, but you have to. This is just out and out racist. That's all it is. They're trying to, it is built on a lie that people of color in urban centers and big urban areas around the country, that they somehow did something fraudulent, that they stole an election when it was proven over and over and over by Republican officials, lawmakers, Republican legislators, election officials, court cases, the Supreme Court, that it was a lie. And now they have enacted into law legislation that was built on a lie about the election. And all of a sudden, they want election integrity because people have concerns about the integrity of the election. Why do they have those concerns? Because you lied to them about it. That's why they have those concerns. So what you're doing is a lie on top of a lie on top of another lie. It is no different than Jim Crow. A different, a poll tax with a different name and a different method. That's what it is. This is the jelly beans in the jar of 2021. How many?
that was CNN host Don Lemon just excoriating Republicans there, laying it out in very, very stark terms for people who may not understand what just happened in Georgia, laying out what exactly just happened there. Just an influential segment. I feel it is very, very important. I felt it was very, very important to play that for you there. Um, we'll be right back. Stay with us. In this world where people are staying at home, many of life's moments are being put on hold. At Carvana, we understand that for some, getting a car just can't wait. That's why the new way to buy and sell a car is also the safer way. At Carvana, you can do it all 100% online from home with a touchless delivery and pickup process to keep you safe. And for even greater peace of mind, all Carvana cars come with a seven-day return policy. So if you need to keep moving, it's our goal to keep you safe. Check out Carvana, the safer way to buy a car. Welcome back. So hate crimes against Asian Americans are still rising exponentially. We've been getting recent reports in recent days about this. Just because you aren't seeing or hearing about this, perhaps in the national news anymore, or maybe in your local news media outlets, um, these these hate crimes are still transpiring. And in San Diego, officials are telling people to report everything. They say we stand with the Asian American community. There is no place for hate here. If you see these, please report them. Uh, please intervene um, or at least call the authorities um, because these things, the, these attacks are still happening. This, uh, these, these attacks, these violent and, and sometimes what is referred to as derogatory um, slurs, they, they are still transpiring. They are still happening. They are still targeting Asian Americans, uh, specifically in places like New York and San Francisco and in the Bay Area. These situations are still transpiring. We're going to have a special report on this, actually, this Friday. You do not want to miss that. That will be happening this Friday here on the Jeremiah Patterson Show. A special report about th this increasing uptick in hate crimes against Asian Americans. Coming up next, we're going to have the latest on uh, embattled New York governor, Democratic New York governor Andrew Cuomo and what he's facing right now in terms of all of these scandals and sexual harassment accusations. We're also going to have reporting on um, Congressman Matt Gates, who is facing allegations of child sex trafficking. That's next. Stay with us. At a time when we're asked to sacrifice, we step up to do our part on the home front on the front lines, to lend a helping hand and hold each other up. We are resilient, vigilant, and we'll get through this because we're better together, even if we're a little farther apart. Welcome back. So we are not going to have the latest on New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. My apologies for that. That was a screw up on my part. Um, I just did do my due diligence again, and uh, there is actually more stories that uh, I need to uh, report on in within that within sort of his his realm of of scandal that he is facing right now. So we're going to have special reporting on that later on this week, if not into this weekend. Uh, when I say later on this week, I'm referring to Friday. If not, then Saturday and Sunday, we're going to have special reporting on that as well. Uh, but I do want to provide you updated reporting on um, what Congressman Republican Congressman Matt Gates is facing. Republican Congressman Matt Gates is one of the most uh, one of the most vociferous and um, strongest supporters of former President Donald Trump. Um, now he is facing allegations of child sex trafficking and also allegations of corruption here. Uh, this is reporting from NBC News Today. And I'm not going anywhere. Florida Congressman Matt Gates defiant and doubling down. 
in the face of allegations that he was involved in sex trafficking and that he had sex with a 17-year-old girl. And I won't be extorted by a former DOJ officials and the crooks he is working with. The truth will prevail. Headlining an event for a pro-Trump women's group. I take the words of Margaret Thatcher to heart. If you want something said, get a man. If you want something done, hire a woman. Gates, speaking the same day the House Ethics Committee announced it had opened an investigation into his actions, not just on sex trafficking, but also over allegations he showed nude images on the House floor and misused campaign funds. The congressman's heavily pro-woman message comes after a Gates associate, Joel Greenberg, was arraigned on an array of charges this week, including sex trafficking of a minor, which drew the Fed's attention to Gates. Federal prosecutors and Greenberg's attorney telling the judge they expect a plea and not to go to trial. I'm sure Matt Gates is not feeling very comfortable today. Gates, a close ally of former President Donald Trump, has hired attorneys and an outside PR firm to manage the scandal. A spokesperson telling NBC News Gates will fight back against the unfounded allegations. Gates has not been charged with any crime and has repeatedly denied any wrongdoing. Still, calls for him to leave Congress, including from Republican Adam Kinzinger, who says Gates needs to resign. And while Gates deploys the Trump playbook, doubling down in the face of scandal, Republican allies have been hard to find. Female staffers in Gates's office said they never witnessed a hint of impropriety. However, the statement did not include their names. Even Trump has been subdued, offering only a reminder of Gates's denials. Gates taking it as a clear sign of support, blasting out a fundraising email asking supporters to help Trump and I fight back against another media hoax. And guys, Gates is not just taking a page from the Trump playbook by calling these allegations a hoax, but also in the legal strategy he's taking. He hired one of the same lawyers who also represents the Trump organization in ongoing criminal and civil investigations ongoing now in the state of New York. Peter and Kristen. All right, Ali Vitale, live for us in Florida. Ali, thank you. That was reporting from NBC News Today about the allegations of child sex trafficking into uh, into embattled uh, Republican Congressman uh, Matt Gates, who is facing these allegations in Florida, also um, who's facing these allegations in Florida. He's currently under investigation by the United States Department of Justice. Also, his associate, uh, essentially his his former buddy, um, uh, Andy Greenberg, face, is facing 33, I believe it's more than that now, more than 33 um charges in in a superseding federal indictment um there um so that is happening right now uh there's reporting that uh, his associate greenberg might essentially flip on gates this is a live story we will continue to watch for developments in this story and cover it uh the reason why this story is kind of so hard to follow and i i have been having to play clips is because there is literally developments in this case almost every day as we are continuing to learn more about these allegations against our embattled republican congressman Matt Gates and also his associate Andy Greenberg and there's also reportedly more people that may be involved in this in this scandal uh, not 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 the scandal in this investigation here but once again we will continue watching this story as more develops thank you again for listening to this episode of the Jeremiah Patterson show I really appreciate it this was part one episode one today um, that I, I was posting two episodes today um, the next episode will be coming out uh, very soon thank you again have a great day remember to stay positive and inspired take care and I'll see you soon